Hello. The problem I want to address today is that of how to get yourself to do things, especially things that part of you doesn't want to do, but part of you knows you should do. I'm especially thinking of people who are hard on themselves. If you have a perfectionistic streak and that leads to procrastination sometimes. And maybe if you're low on self-discipline and conscientiousness, the answer I'm going to try to give might be addressed more in a more customized and tailored way to you. But hopefully what we'll, what we'll suss out together will be more general, generally applicable to anyone uh, with any type of personality. So how do you get yourself to do things? Well, the first thing you might say is, yeah, things I don't want to do. Do I have to do them? I don't want to do anything. Life is hard. And certainly life is hard. Life is suffering is the first noble truth of Buddhism. And suffering is a central theme of the greatest symbol of Christianity, the cross, and Christ being crucified on it. And I don't think anyone should be surprised that uh, Judaism and the Jewish people are acutely aware of the suffering involved in life. So many of our major religions and oldest wisdom traditions continually insist that Suffering is a necessary condition of existence. And so you might think, well, then why bother with it? And people do answer, answer in the negative. And they do, they do judge being in existence as not worthy. And they do end up going down suicidal and homicidal and even genocidal paths. And, well, we, there's, we won't address that any further, but, there is a sense in which figuring out how to address life suffering in order to want to do anything at all is an important thing you have to come around to. It's In a way, it's one of the most fundamental things we have to figure out in life is what makes it worthwhile. It's not just happiness or pleasure or being wealthy or being successful socially or just being having max, maximizing your comfort and your pleasure. No, no, no. Those are flimsy. Those are pretty, pretty... Sorry, philosophies. As soon as any serious tragedy enters life, as soon as a family member gets cancer, as soon as you start to age and deal with chronic pain, as soon as any natural disaster hits you or anyone you know, and especially if not just natural tragedy, but if human malevolence enters the picture, if you ever get betrayed, you can't just try just say, "Oh, the purpose of life is to be happy." If that's the purpose, you're not you're not gonna you're not going to endure for long. So I think a more robust way of looking at things would be, yeah, life's hard and it's good, but what makes it all worthwhile? How can we redeem our suffering? What's the, what, what meaning can you find to set up against the difficulty you're going to encounter to make the whole thing something that a deal that you're willing to strike, no, despite the downsides? So you need to do that in order to even answer this question of, well, not just how to get yourself to do things, but should you do anything? Now, should you do anything? We could also answer that on a more technical and biological level. You know, you could, we could look at ourselves as human beings the way another species might look at us, you know, like raccoon zoologists looking at humans, the same way human zoologists look at platypi or penguins or octopi. You could pretend to be a raccoon zoologist looking at human beings and you ask, hey, what kind of creature is this? What are human beings like? Well, to get your, so do you need to do anything? Well, human beings are goal-oriented creatures. Maybe all life is goal-oriented. That's a really cool definition, philosophical definition of biotic life that I 
heard long ago that you could think about for like 10 years is all life that which exhibits goal-oriented behavior. And what would that mean for, you know, if we value life itself and not just creatures that can suffer and not just members of our own species and not just members of our own sex or race, you know, what would that mean ethically for our culture and for your worldview if you judged life to be valuable and you, and you could actually look at what defines life? How would that change how we, how we act in the world? Humans are part of life. Life is that which exhibits goal-oriented behavior. And, you know, humans, we, don't, we can't photosynthesize sunlight. Uh, we don't stand in one place. We're built on a hunting and gathering platform anatomically. We have very powerful visual systems. We have better vision than all but falcons and other birds of prey, hawks and such, eagles. So we're very used to walking around an environment, specifying aims, looking at things with our eyes, setting goals, and striking out towards them. That's how we meet our biological needs. That's the type of creature we are. So you can't, the answer is you can't not set goals. So since you're going to set goals anyways, that's what you're going to do as a creature by default, automatically, without conscious, whether or not you're doing it consciously. Since you're going to set goals, well, you may as well be, you may as well be deliberate about that so that you don't, you're, you don't just let yourself on autopilot unconsciously set goals that you don't want to actually get, arrive to. So you have to set goals. Now, next question might be, well, what kind of goals do you set? What should you be trying to get yourself to do? And well, one way to answer that is to go through, go through this exercise. You could sit down and you could say, could sit yourself down, close your eyes, and try to visualize and picture, and you could ask yourself, hey, what, would, what would life be like? What would I turn into if I, if I followed all my worst habits and all my worst sins and temptations, and if I, did every, if I followed all my flaws and weaknesses in my character, and I did all the things that I know, for, that I know are bad for me, all my bad habits, and if I let them control me, and if I followed them downwards for like three years, how, what kind of hell would I end up in? Then you could open your eyes and take pen and pencil and either draw or draw with words, describe what that hell would be like. And that gives you the negative aspect. And then you could do, ask the opposite question. What's, what's the highest good I can conceive of for how my life would turn out? If all my hopes and dreams came true, what would, be, what would life be like? And, you know, you can't be, well, you shouldn't be just purely selfish about it because if you have any sense, what you, what the highest good that you can conceive includes good for other people, people you care about. So you could ask yourself, what kind of family life do I like, do I want? What kind of career would I like? What do I want for my personal life? You know, my, my time off work. Um, what do I want for my health? What do I want for the beauty around me in the community? What do I want for hobbies? What kind of uh, qualities would I like to cultivate in my character? What kind of person would I like to be? And, you know, you want to stick within the realm of possibility. You don't just want to, I'm not asking you to just drop a blueprint for utopia that's, you know, like the lyrics to the old folk song, The Big Rock Candy Mountain, where the hens lay soft-boiled eggs and there's a lake of stew and of whiskey too that you paddle all around in a big canoe and where they hung the jerk that invented work. No, I'm not asking for that. I'm saying, Within the realm of possibility and the potential trajectories for your life, 
what's the best one you can conceive of? And then paint that picture and, and, and specify and clarify and describe and articulate that as clearly and vividly as you can. Then you have a heaven to aim for and you have a hell to, to aim away from. And that can help you to answer this question. What should you aim at? What, what goals should you set? What should you do? And it also helps to answer this, this main question, which is how do you get yourself to do those things? And well, one answer is with, the, with this reward and punishment by running away from that hell and then running towards that heaven. And well, this is another version of, of the way a lab rat, if you stick it in a maze and animal behavior, behavioral and cognitive scientists have done this a lot and you put some cheese at the end of the maze, that's an incentive for the rat to go to, to go through the maze towards the cheese. But you could also waft some cat odor at the entrance to the maze right after you put the rat in. You could put it behind the rat's tail, and then it's running away from the cat and towards the cheese. That's a very powerful motivational combination. So that's that's one answer to this this final question of how do you get yourself to do these things that are involve a lot of difficulty and responsibility that you may not want to do, but you have to do serious existential work and plumbing your own your own self and introspection to come to the type of integrated motivation and vision that is worth aiming for every day. So you can sit down and do this big picture exercise of figuring out what your own personal heaven and hell is and using those as a punishment and a reward you know, as motivations to get you to do things that are aiming towards the heaven and away from the hell. And, well, here's a more granular way that you could use reward and punishment to get yourself to do things. So there's that big picture exercise. But you could also wake up in the morning and you could say, well, how do I get myself to do things? Well, you don't want to get yourself to do things. That's that's a poorly formulated question. That's part of you tyrannizing Another part of you, maybe it's, you know, Smeagol and Gollum in Lord of the Rings, or maybe it's superego and id if you're Freud, or, you know, the angel on, the, on your shoulder and the devil on your shoulder. And part of you is, you know, has a whistle and clipboard and is beating the other one into shape and, and kind of oppressing and tyrannizing and enslaving the other part of you. And that's just, that just doesn't work in the long run because you're dividing against yourself and you're pushing on the gas pedal and the brake at the same time. And, you're not all integrated and all your, all your energies and organs and parts of your psyche and, and, you know, different sub-personalities. It's not all, you know, in a diamond-like formation and adamantine and pointing in the same direction and, and sharp and, and put together. You're all disintegrated and divided against yourself. So it doesn't work in the long run. A much more enlightened relationship to have with the parts of yourself. And there's obviously an analog here, by the way, to relationships with other people in your life. You know, any, any parts and whole, well, it's, there's a, it's a much more enlightened relationship for them to be in, to be in is that of negotiation and consensus. So you could sit yourself down in the morning and say, how do I get myself to do things? Well, the angel on my shoulder wants me to go to work and do my homework and pay my bills and but the devil on your shoulder, if he gets to say, he'd watch TV and eat cookies and stuff. And, you know, if you ignore the devil, you might get a little bit resentful because you need to integrate that part of him. And a lot of people say, no, I don't want to do that. But integrating your shadow, that's that's a process that Carl Jung talked about a lot, the psychologist. Looking at your dark energies and 
learning how to marshal them and harness them and bring them into consciousness and use them in the service of the whole is very powerful. It makes you, it, it tames your aggression and, and controls it. It makes you, makes you, it's like you have a sword that you always keep sheathed, but you have a sword. And so that makes you a much more formidable force in the, in the defense of things that are worth defending. You know, that's the proper use of that aggression and any of that dark energy you may have is to, is to, channel it into defense of what's good. So that's a whole process you can undertake, and that's another long psychological developmental pathway. But as you integrate your shadow, you could negotiate with with that part. And you could say to the devil on your shoulder, well, if we do what the angel wants, then you can have some of that reward. You can have some cookies and TV at the end of the day. And you sit down and you really ask yourself, hey, what am I willing to do? You know, what, what are, what are the parts, what are the different parts of me that all need to be appeased and what, what, where can they all meet in the middle and what negotiated consensus can we reach where all of you is willing to get up and go through the day and meet your responsibilities and keep everyone happy. You can't keep just the devil happy either or, well, you'll suffer needlessly and the angel on your shoulder who might be quieter you know, that voice of conscious conscience, but it'll be sad too. And, and things will get dark and meaningless in a much more, in a much worse way, actually, a much, much more difficult to act, to heal way. So that's a more granular way to use punishment and reward to get yourself to do things. But there's a way in which even that whole motivational system isn't the most reliable and robust way I can think of for for getting things done. And here's why. When we use punishments and rewards, when we think of rewards, we tend to think of satisfying your appetite. We tend to think of, you know, how you feel after Thanksgiving dinner when, you know, you've, you're full of fat and salt and sugar and, you know, you have the cigarette butt and the mashed potatoes and you're kind of satiated and complacent. And we think thing, things that give us that state, you know, whether it's, a video game or money or, um, you know, sexual pleasure with your partner. A lot of those things, we might think of those as rewards and as pleasurable. But see, scientists have found that that's called the consumatory reward system. And that's not actually that motivating. And it's not actually a big part of life. If you, could, if you pursue those things directly, it doesn't work. You can't just aim at money or just aim at sex or just aim at pleasure. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't just walk into a restaurant and dine and dash. I mean, you might get away with it, but it won't work as a long-term strategy. You can't use people for sex. You can't just pursue money at any cost. Then you'd all, then all you do is rob banks. So the other major reward system that we have in our bodies is the incentive reward system. And what that involves is you get positive emotion and dopamine as a result of moving towards a valued goal. So you set your aims and goals like we talked about earlier, and then it's in the process of moving towards them, not necessarily in arriving to them, those goals, that a lot of the rewards are located. And that's just how we're set up on a very, on a, on, on a very basic neurochemical level. So that means that the process is primary. It's much more important than the product. You know, the journey is the destination. And there's something 
very ethereal and paradoxical and tricky here at the very end of this, which is the idea of letting go of the outcome and embracing that process and trusting the process. So I've noticed, you know, when I set up a goal and I try to get myself to do things and I and I have rewards and punishments and I filter the whole world through my agenda and I act trying to force and control and bring about a certain outcome, I'm acting in a motivated way. You know, I'm grasping and I'm controlling. It's not so fun. Things are pretty negative. And mostly what I'm focused on is how I'm not there yet. And I tend to tend to not have a very high quality of life on an hour-to-hour level when I look at the world that way. But if you can let go of that motivated doing and just sit back in being and letting things just proceed without an agenda and not forcing things, it's a very difficult shift to make, at least for me. That's the concept of Wu Wei, which is, uh, I think it's a Taoist concept. And, well, Wu Wei means not forcing or effortless action. And it's, it's just sitting with things without an agenda and trusting that process. And you have to give up the end. You don't know what, you don't know that you'll get what you want. But you have to genuinely and honestly say, that's okay. I'm just going to sit here and let things be. And there's this quote by Rumi, who is a 13th century Persian mystic and theologian and jurist and poet, which is just brilliant, um, which really articulates this idea really well. And it, it goes like this. When I go after what I think I want, my days are a furnace of stress and anxiety. But when I sit in my own place of patience, I find that what I need flows to me and without pain. And then he goes on to add that from this, I understand that what I want also wants me is looking for and attracting me. There's a great secret here for anyone who can grasp it. And something about that approach of saying, you don't need to get yourself to do anything at all. We're just going to trust the process. We're not going to force it. We're going to start with being for its own sake. That can actually lead to, I've found, your brain telling you how to get yourself to do things. And what's the best thing for me to do right now? So if you sit there and you meditate for 10 or 20 minutes, and you're not, doing, you're not trying to do anything, you're just trying to be, and it's very hard, then sometimes at the very end of that, if I trust that process, the very last thing that happens is, in the last 10 seconds of that meditation, the right plan just occurs to me. And it's not difficult. I don't have to force myself to do it at all. I actually want to do it. And basically, I've found out what's the best thing for me to do right now. But not through motivated reasoning, just through embracing the process over the product. And this is very tricky. And, well, of course, it contradicts what I said at the very beginning, which is, or, and of course, it contradicts, contradicts what I said early on in this spiel, which is that, well, we're motivated creatures. We have to set goals. That's, that's a necessary characteristic of life. It's a defining characteristic of life that we are that which pursues, which, which exhibits goal oriented behavior. And it is contradictory and I don't have an answer here. So this is where my thinking runs into a wall of paradox and it's your turn and I need your help to figure out, to figure out what, what the next truest idea is.